This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Hockey, yeah, yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. That's in game uh, three of the qualifying round uh, today, putting the Wild in a must win going into the, what is it, 945 start tomorrow night, uh, game four. I'm Zolgad, Declan Goff, uh, Judd's Hockey Show last fall. Uh, appreciate you join, uh, joining Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. However you are consuming us, we appreciate it. All right, Dex, let's start with you, afternoon hockey. Your, th- your thoughts. Your well, 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 first off, let me just let me just start start off this correctly. <laughs> it is happy hour. It's 4.30. Actually, it's 4.20. It's a really nice hey, time of day right now. And uh, and the wild loss. So, you know, uh, I'm cheersing you from far away here from this press seltzer, pomegranate ginger. I think you'd really like this one. I think even Stella would have uh, dabbled in this one a little bit. You never know with her. Smoking, drinking, it's all right. I've lost control of my child, my dog. Um, but, but initial thoughts, Judd, just, uh, man, the Wild just lack a finisher, and I think maybe we just got a little too excited after that game one. I don't think, I don't think the Canucks, like, outplayed the Wild drastically tonight by any means, or today, I should say. Okay. Um, the, the, the Wild had, what, seven power play opportunities. I thought Stalock, yeah, he was Alex Stalock, but there was numerous chances in front of the net. They couldn't catch a break. There's a puck that hops over stall stick. There's scrums in front of the net that trickle past the crease. And and the Canucks are just able to bury a good chance from Besser early on. It, it, it wasn't like the Wild played so poorly, but when there's literally 17 penalties or whatever the hell it was over the course of the game, it's hard to get in a rhythm five on five. And, and Minnesota wasn't able to finish it, man. And, and, and it's just kind of that, that's how the story of this game went. I didn't think it was Vancouver playing an excellent game plan. You know, yes, Besser gets a power play goal, but again, that top line, I thought in most part was held in check for the majority of the game. They just, uh, they, they weren't able to finish their chances, Judd. Yeah. Pedersen was not uh, as effective or as good in game three as he was in game two. The Wild uh, juggled, and I thought to some success, especially early on, their line combinations. Jordan Greenway, who, uh, we talked about late night, the last um, John Taki show last call that we did. Greenway was a non-factor, and, and I said they need to juggle lines, and they actually did. And then he and Folino on a line that they had with Eric Sinek, I thought played okay, uh, more aggressive. But the main story post game right now, I think, is going to be the health of Ryan Suter, who was not on the bench. He got hurt, I guess, at some point in the third period. Um, the Wild had a power play in which they had Spurgeon and Dumba both out there. And I thought to myself, whoa, Ryan Suter's been taken off the power play. And then it turns out that he had left the bench. And if he's hurt, that's a problem because 
he's not a sexy player, but he oh. clearly play, he clearly plays a lot and is a very important part of what this team is doing. So post game, we're going to have to find out what the injury status, and I'm sure we'll get. I'm sure Dean will tell us everything that's wrong with Ryan. Um, but that's going to be a big deal for tomorrow night's game. And keep in mind too the back to back quick turnaround that the uh, Wild is going to play the last game again on the bad ice tomorrow night, which is fine. Um, this game to me. Okay, I'll start with with two things. Okay, goaltending, but Stalock made some great saves. Yep, this was Markstrom's easily best game. Jacob Markstrom was great, and and I think he has figured out. I'm a big cat. I'm a big dude, right? Mm -hmm. If I basically if I basically go down to my knees, but stay up from there and take the post away, the shooting lanes and ability are basically gone. Markstrom played a great game. The second thing is, and look, the Wild, by this point in time, knew exactly what they were getting into in, into uh, today's game, okay? So this mm -hmm. is no surprise. But mm -hmm. the second thing is special teams. Again, both teams, seven power plays. So this is not a, oh my gosh, the Wild are being screwed by the officials and the Canucks are getting all of these power plays and the Wild aren't. But let me take you through the three games, special team-wise, from a power play standpoint for the Wild so far, Declan Goff. All right. Two, two for four first game. 50%. Fiala got that first goal, what, three seconds in, I think, to the to the Wild's first power play in the series. Yeah. Okay. Two for four. Game two, 0 for six. Today, 0 for seven. Two for 17 on the power play. When, when you are getting, when officials basically are going to both teams and saying, Please do something dumb because I am. We are dying to give you power plays. When your response is two for seventeen, not good enough. The Canucks went zero for one. So game one, the Wild basically, I don't know how, miraculously stayed out of the penalty box. Game two, Vancouver one for seven. Game three today, two for seven. So three for fifteen in in the three games. But the point is. From a wild perspective, if you are not generating more on your power play, you're in trouble. And in the last two games now, 0 for 11 in any series is not going to cut it. It's just that simple. And Judd, look, we we can you know complain and moan about all the all the all the penalties that were on both sides here tonight. But at the end of the day, both teams had seven power play opportunities, and one team was able to get at least something out of it, and the other wasn't. Like, yes, I, I don't want the whistles to be around all the time. Tonight, in 60 minutes of hockey, Judd, we played five-on-five five for 36 minutes. That was it. Just 36 minutes of five-on-five five play. And I do think the Wild five-on-five five play pretty well. Their power play is always just so sporadic and up and down that, yeah, it's not something you can lean on. Regardless, when you go two for 17, you deserve to lose. And look, Vancouver's a younger team. They're faster. They have more skill up top. That being said, you still had the opportunity to win this game. You did, and you blew it because you couldn't convert on your power play opportunities. And Vancouver, I, I thought in game one was a complete, they, they, they snored through that whole game. They looked completely outmatched. Game two, you saw, okay, so that's Vancouver. They're fast. If you don't slow down Pedersen and Besser, you're going to have a nightmare of a game. Game three, I thought was a hybrid of both for Vancouver. I don't think they played their best game. I don't think they played their worst game, but they allowed the Wild to hang around for the majority of the game. Up until they scored the second one to give them insurance, the Wild were, were in it, and they had power plays after power plays to try and tie it and cut the lead or do something, and the Wild weren't able to finish. It 
yes, Vancouver's a young team. They're fast and they're fun to watch. And as I told you after game one, I think this team's probably going to be a force in the West in the next few years. They're going to be really, really good. Markstrom's phenomenal. Yes, let's not discredit how good Jake Markstrom has been for the majority of this series, and especially today was his best game. But you had an opportunity to beat these young guns and show like, oh, we're veterans and we've been in the playoffs before. We know how to do this. And you were not able to capitalize. So, yes, Vancouver it, it look, we're, is up two to one right now. And now the Wilder have their backs against the wall. They're going to have to win two in a row to, to move on. And it's going to be a pretty tall task to do that, Judd. I, I, now I'm at the point where it, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if this one's in the bag by, uh, by midnight tomorrow. I think we're going five, Dex. I think we're going we're gonna five. We're going to go five. I okay. think going to come back and, and win tomorrow night. And I don't know. And if, if you get this thing to five, it, it's a complete toss-up, right? Um, but just to your point uh, of, of saying that you think the Wild is in trouble, uh, I saw this stat this morning in the Star Tribune. The teams that have won game three in best of five. So we have not had a best of five. Um, I think 1986 was the last time in the uh, – National Hockey League. But teams that won game three in a best of five after splitting the first two games, the team that won today's game, 21 and seven all time. So you're right. I think we're going five though. So here's the interesting thing about today's game. Today's game, especially in the first period decks, I felt like this was the most even, like there wasn't, game one, the wild was great. And to your point, I agree completely. The Canucks just weren't good. Like the Canucks, I don't know if they were nervous or they were thrown off or the return to play had them not right. But but in game one, the Wild came out with a great plan. The Canucks sort of just disappeared. Game two, I, I thought the Canucks responded with the correct resiliency. And it wasn't that the Wild was terrible, but I think if you were to say which was the better team in game two, Vancouver wins that one. Today, I thought coming out, third period it felt like a series and it didn't and it didn't feel to me like oh this one team is coming out hot and the wild is not or or the Canucks are are hot um it felt like this was the first game in which it really felt like both teams had settled into the tempo of the series so I felt like the game was there for sure Mm -hmm. I, I thought that what they did what Dean did to juggle the lines actually in extended periods of time worked. Um, let's talk about just quickly here, the wild fourth line, Koivu, uh, Sturm, Hartman, Nico Sturm to me earned playing time. And, and yes, the Donato thing is frustrating because I think you and me and everybody wants this kid to step up and, and we all think give him playing time and let's see that being said, Sturm to me stepped in, fourth line wing, ordinarily a uh, center, and played an incredibly solid game, sound game, created chances. That fourth line worked its ass off and was fun to watch. And I really thought that that the uh, swap of Sturm for Donato gave this team a boost. It didn't help to win the game, obviously, but um, it also shows you exactly how far Victor Rask is buried. Did Victor Rask go? Is Victor Rask in the bubble, or, or did they just say, you know what, Victor, uh, stay home, just like the fans. Fox Sports North got you covered until poor Victor Rask will try and do something once this is done. But you know what, buddy? Don't even bother getting on the plane for Edmonton because it don't matter for you. Yeah, no, he's he's there. He's definitely there. He's, he's hanging out with the guys. I know. He might as well be on the couch with me and the dogs watching the game today, Dex. 
That's what it sounded like, man. And and I, I think Nico Sturm is a uh, is played really well tonight, man. I think he I thought he really deserved his chances and that fourth line in general between Hartman, Koivu, and and Sturm was probably the Wild's best line tonight. And unfortunately, um, you know they they weren't. They were the only thing that was working for them. I, I, offensively, the Wild just weren't able to bury chances. They had opportunities, Judd. I mean, if you're just looking at high danger chances, the Wild had ten. Vancouver had eleven. Um, in terms of our Corsi stat, I know how much you love your Corsi. The Wild had a Corsi percentage for of fifty five percent to Vancouver's forty four. So okay. the, the Wild had possession and they had opportunities. They just how many times did we see? I think the one that really killed was I think it was Zuccarello who passed to stall. And the puck just bounces off his stick. And, yes. and if Stahl hits that, completely different game. Completely different game. And then everything else, there was a few other scrums, uh, scrums in front of the net where the puck just trickles behind Markstrom. You had Ek, who, God bless him, he works so flipping hard. But I think Alex Stalock might have better hands than him. Um, you had Ryan Hartman in front of the net. Around. Yes. His stick was, if, if he was a right-handed shot on the play that you're talking about, he scores, yeah. but he had to turn his stick. It was just bad luck, basically. Right. So, I mean, that, that that's what's so frustrating, I think, about today's game. It, yes, the penalties, we can, you know, we can complain about the penalties and disturbing the rhythm, but both teams had plenty of power play opportunities. Besser was able to score a great goal diving with style and was able to find the back of the net. The Wild had seven of them, and they couldn't figure it out, dude. So I, I don't look at the game as like, oh, wow, that Vancouver team's pretty dang special. No, Markstrom saved them. Markstrom was on his A game today. But in general, that Vancouver offense, that top six that we were worried about, and you had to shut them down so you can match up better because the Wild have better depth. That mostly worked tonight. And I think mostly the, the Wild were able to match them offensively. It's just Vancouver or uh, Minnesota couldn't convert a power play to save their bleeping lives. And and that's I think that's the main takeaway that I have from this. So as far as the penalties go, let's let's um, dive down deep here, okay? Okay. As a fan, I don't like this. As a fan, I want five on five. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't call anything, but just as a fan of the sport, and like if it's Wild Canucks or if this was Oilers Blackhawks, all right, I don't want to see this. I want to see them, like everything, every stick infraction is called, and you could call a stick infraction constantly. But let's, let's delve down deep here into where the Wild needs to be smarter and, and the the a dumb play that costs you dearly. Jordan Greenway oh. is at center ice. And I swear to God, Dex, I've got 11 notes here about today's game, okay? okay. I have just written note six, which is the move of Greenway from that first line, which was not working. I think mm-hmm. we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. The move of uh, Jordan to the line with Eck and Felino was working. Like, he was more physical. I think that line's just a good fit for what Greenway does. Yes, and and it doesn't it doesn't ask him to be it doesn't ask him to utilize talents he probably does not have yet at least. Uh, so I'm writing this note down, and that's at the very point as I'm writing this that he slashes McEwen's stick, and is called for a penalty that I don't personally really like. But you knew you know three games in. It's going to be called, and then if I'm not mistaken, Vancouver scores a power play goal off of that. But the fact is, this is the type of thing, I hate the penalty call. But that being said, I can't I can't sit here and bash it and say I'm surprised. And Greenway 
and everybody else on the wild by this point in time has to know that that's going to be called. That's the type of dumb penalty, and, and it's at center ice. It's not on a scoring chance for the Canucks. It's not some, oh, my gosh, I've got to possibly take a penalty here to prevent a scoring chance. It is just a dumb um, play that's given no thought that in a playoff series like this, which, again, is best three of five, there, there ain't a lot of time to screw around here, is an incredibly dumb, short-sighted move that before Greenway uses a stick at all, he's got to give that some thought and say, you know what? I'm going to lose the puck. Okay, too bad. Mm-hmm. The defenseman will help me. That's the type of play in this series that helps to define it, that you look at and say, you win or lose series based on a play like that. And because you know, you know, if you slash that guy's stick, you're going to get that penalty. Yep. And anytime, anytime you break the stick and it was weird, it was a weird situation. He's trying to get control of the puck. He's going and it just, it happens to break his, the other guy's twig in half. And, and you're going to get called for that every time stick infractions happen. I posted that video last night of the great Frank Saratori at, at Air Force, who is, is an amazing quote and, and who always says, if you're looking, if you're a referee and if you're looking, you can find a penalty on just about every single shift. The good ones are the ones who let them play and, 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 and figure it out on their own, right? So that's the, that's the frustrating part. And I thought Greenway, even for how much I've ripped him and how much I'm ready to move on from him, Judd, up until that point, I thought Greenway was playing well. Like you said, he, he, his style complements what they were trying to do on that line. And you even saw earlier this season when I believe it was that Jack line, you know, Cunning, Eck and Greenway, they played very well together. Um, and, and I think that's where he's supposed to be him being on that top line for the first, you know, game and a half of this series, I think was a humongous mistake. But if you put him in that situation down there, it's going to be an awful lot better. And again, Judd, maybe I'm going to see if this works here, but I'm just going to illustrate, you know, just how many chances the wild truly had in front of the net. We'll see if this works for our audience here. I don't know if you can see this heat map. But yeah, as you can look at this technology, yeah, look at that, huh? And you're drinking too. This is really impressive. Thank you, thank you very much. I you know sometimes I do my best work when I have a couple seltzers in me. So as you see in the Minnesota section here, that's their offensive zone. So everything in front of Markstrom. Look at all the color right there in front of Markstrom between the circles, right there. They they had it. They had numerous opportunities. And from even in the near side circle, they were there. They had a couple shots from the blue line. And if you compare it to Vancouver, yes, a, a, a juicy one right in front of Staylock, but they suppressed shots everywhere. Like Vancouver had nothing going really too much offensively. They get a great goal from Besser, who pulls a Buzz Lightyear and falls with style and gets it in the back of the net. But mostly the Wilds offense, as you see from the chart and the heat map there, mm-hmm. they, they had opportunities to beat Markstrom, and Markstrom was just a little bit better. Yeah, he, he was great. Um, that's why I don't think – it feels like because they got shut up that the Wild played a bad game. It feels like that. I don't think that they did. I think that there were moments where they probably weren't the smartest team, but I don't, I don't feel like this was a terrible game. And I'll tell you what, too. All right, let's talk about some skill here. Okay. Well, Kevin Fiala. Now, I do want to talk about a very dumb thing he did that I didn't like, but Kevin Fiala, again, for, for the third consecutive game. And let me see if I roll this down off of Fox Sports North during their telecast. Going into the third period, his his uh, shot attempts in the first two games and then the first two periods of game three, Declan, 9-11. And he had 13 today going into the third period. So this does not account for his 
shot attempts in the third period today. How nice is it to watch a guy? And how much can you see the difference when you watch him? Do you know who he is as far as his shot and his ability to control the play in the offensive zone? He's sort of Patrick Kane. He's sort he's got that same dynamic that Kane has. But watch, watch the rest of, you know, watch Stahl or Parisi. And these are not bad players. But watch them set up shots or get shots. And you can sort of see it. Like you can sort of see them almost thinking through what they're doing. And sometimes um, the puck will, dri- will dribble off their stick. Something will go wrong. And then watch Fiala like that. And the incredible thing is realizing, realizing the difference between guys that work hard and are good players. Drink that salsa. And guys who are gifted. Kevin Fiala, and I do want to get to one really dumb thing I think he did, but okay. Kevin Fiala Kevin Fiala is the difference, I think, between us talking about this game right now and saying, well, the Wild tried, but they're probably dead, and and they really had no chance today. And the difference is, when you have Fiala, they did have a chance. They really did. And watching this guy and his skill set, did you see the play? I've got this in my notes. I think it was in the first period. There was a play in the first period in the Vancouver zone where he has the puck, and I think he got stripped or he lost it. It dribbled off his stick. I forget exactly. And the Vancouver player took the puck and got to his own blue line, and Fiala restripped him and came back in. Like these are the these are the things that when we talk about the Wild has not had a, a dynamic player like this since Gabrick. These are the things we're talking about. We're talking about a guy who gives you a chance when throughout the course of the history of this franchise, a lot of times you've just said, you're basically dead. I mean, you're trying hard. Parisi works his ass off. Guys are good. Guys work hard. But the difference between you're trying hard and now you're going home and no, you might have a chance. Fiala today, again, going into the final period, had 13 opportunities. That is incredible. Uh, but I do want to bring up the one thing, and look, there's a fine line to being engaged and fiery and smart, because I, I never want a player, especially in this sport, to disengage completely. Like, if your heart rate goes down to zero and you're a forward, I'm not a big fan, okay? Okay. So I, I like the fact that Fiala cares and is ultra-competitive. But what can't happen in the playoffs occurred with 14.25 left decks in the third period today when Fiala comes into the Canucks zone he's offside he tries to still take a shot when the whistle has gone and then decides to give Markstrom a jab and he gets jumped and on the telecast they they were upset that that um there weren't more penalties called on the Canucks but the fact is Fiala took I believe four minutes total in penalties. The Canucks were called for two. But that's the type of thing, whether it be Fiala in game two moaning at the officials constantly or doing that today, that's the type of thing where I do think that you need to control your frustration to a certain point because that's the type of thing that, one, the Wild can't afford to have Fiala in the penalty box unless it's absolutely necessary. And two, it doesn't help you one bit. Look, he's a he's a fiery guy and he's a very very confident player and I think that's what that's what I even like more about his 
more about him even to, even before his outstanding play that he's been. Yeah, I, I love that, especially a Minnesota athlete uh, has a swagger about that and a confidence about him when, when he's off the ice and, and he knows he's playing well. It's and it's especially in hockey that it's so cliche and, and yes it's a team game and we need to do this and get pucks deep and blah blah blah. But Fiala knows that he's like yeah I'm playing well today I'm feeling good I love to hear that so I like that I have a player who's very wears his heart in his sleeve and he's very emotional. That being said you know yeah he gives Markstrom a little bump he gets the double minor uh, and, and then he gets mauled and in general just with how how the game was called. And yeah, I believe Vancouver got a, a roughing out of it. I, I think there was, there was some subsequent penalties because of it. Fiala got four. But Fiala gets the double minor. Got nothing. That being said, I, I don't, just with the way the game was going, I, I don't like look at that play and, and think like, oh, keep your emotions in check if you're Kevin Fiala. That's just how I interpret it. Um, I, I, I kind of want that pizzazz and I want that guy to have a fire underneath him the whole game. And, and I'm sure he was frustrated, man, because he's watching his team and he's watching himself miss out on these great chances that they have in front of Markstrom and they weren't able to find the back of the net. So it boils over to a point where you do something a little silly. Well, why and- take a shot at the goaltender? You don't need to take a shot at the goaltender. You don't don't go punch the goal. I mean he went by and punched the goaltender. That's just dumb. Well and I don't know if this was Fiala that I don't know if this was his reasoning, but then also, you know, Stalock got ran over twice and there was two goal and goaltender interference called on Vancouver. So I don't know if maybe there's some little retaliation there from Kevin Fiala. I don't know if I want Fiala to be the guy to be right. alliterating that that type of move. I want Felino or Hartman or someone bigger and stronger to go after Vancouver for that reason. Um, but I, I don't mind that. I think the play that really frustrated me, Judd, was to see Antoine Roussel skate circles around Brad Hunt. Well, not even circles. Glide right past Brad Hunt. Yeah. Come in unwaltz. Antoine Roussel, who, yes, he is a pain in the ass. And I know a lot of people don't like him. But as I've told you, if he's on, he's, you know, he's that A.J. Pierzynski kind of player where if he's on your team, it would be a little bit of a different tone how you view Antoine Roussel. I, I get that he's hated by 99% of the league, and rightfully so. I, he's, a, he's a pain in the ass. But for him, a, a player like that, to go unwaltz and go right by Brad Hunt, that was just the deflating moment for me where I was just like, dude, if this is how, if, if you are getting beat from the Vancouver Canucks by Antoine Roussel and not Patterson and, and Besser, you yep. got bigger problems, dude. That is that is unacceptable. Well, and what happened there? Because I I went back and watched it again, and Brad Hunt is is at the right point there, and he is, as best I could tell, um, flat skated. Is that the right term? Sure. Like Russell blows by him, and, and he missed. I think he missed. He tried to hold the puck in, I think, and he missed. And but yeah, that's a bad play. That's a bad play, and and that's the type of play in the playoffs that's going to kill you. These are the things and the lessons that I hope this team, especially the young guys, are learning right now. You know, in Fiala's case, don't go punch the goaltender when you're down. And by the way, your team needs you. You are easily like this isn't he is sort of the best player. But Zach Parise real good. He is easily the best player. He is one of the best players on the ice, period. There's no question about it. He dominates games. He dominates the puck when he wants to. Um, let's go through the line uh, changes that Everson made in this game and okay. sort of break that down too. So we went from games one and two, Stahl centering Greenway and Fiala to Stahl centering Parisi and Fiala. And I sort of like that. Um, I don't know that Zach had a huge impact on today's game, but I just don't think Greenway belongs on that line. Yes. And so I would rather see I would rather see Zach promoted to that line 
than see you try and and milk Greenway's talents up there. Because I, I do think in going to the Eck um, Felino Greenway line from what had been Parisi, Eck, and Cunnan, I do like that move. So so it's not that Parisi had a great impact on that first line, but I think that's the right thinking to juggle things up and put him there and drop Greenway down. Yeah, no, I, I, Greenway had no business, I think, being on that top line. I think maybe the the view was, oh, well, he's a big body. He'll he'll hit it. He'll use his weight and he'll open some things up for for Fiala and therefore stall too. But I, I just didn't really understand the pairing of that in general. And as we said earlier in the podcast too, he his game fits better playing on more of a true checking line and guys with other guys with size. And and that's why I thought him being on the top line didn't make much sense. Uh, and and Parisi, I don't know, Judd, ha- have you noticed? Zach Parise much in these three games? Have you noticed him? Not much. Not much. And and he's and Zach's always been, no matter what the Wild have had their roles in the playoffs, obviously, Zach's always been a postseason performer. We I mean that that is a proven fact. He's almost a point per game player. No, not really. Yeah, he he, I mean he's been out there. I've seen him, but I haven't really thought much of it. And that is concerning for me because after he's 36 years old, it's a young man's game. He, I guess he, he's still a ni- he's a nice player and he still works hard, but he's thirty six, Declan. Right, like we can we can try and spin this all we want, but this is a young man's game. This is, I mean, watch Fiala and Parisi and tell me they're playing the same sport these days. Like as top echelon guys, right? Yeah, no, it it's not that Zach doesn't have a role. Zach, look, the re- Zach Parisi, um was unfortunately done a disservice, I think, in some ways, when the trade with the Islanders fell through. Because I think Zach Parisi, Declan, is a very effective third-line player on a team that has a playoff run in it. Yeah. I mean, he's a first-line guy t- today. I'd rather, I just don't think Greenway brings anything to that first line. And I think when you put him on a grind line, which is what he's on when he's with Ekinfolino, I think he brings more there. But, you know, Zach, Bar- Zach Barisi will still, um, once this is done, I think if the Wild can trade him, accept a trade to a contender where he can play third line, because that's probably him now. Yeah, and, and look, I, I still think he, he has some great years, a, a solid to good years still left in his, in his game. Um, but I, I when we did our playoff preview and we were trying to figure out, like, well, what players we know are going to step up? What players did we know were going to be guys that were going to, be able to score big playoff goals and be able to carry you. And Zach's always been someone to me that was going to be able to do that. He was able to get a greasy goal like that. You know, he was able, he was going to put the team not on his back, but be the one to finish the junk in front of the net. And there was plenty of junk in front of the net all game. And he wasn't there. Um, And look, it's not a slight on Zach, but I, I, I just figured that usually, you notice Zach Parise in playoff hockey and for through three games, he's essentially been a ghost. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been a ghost through three games, and and yes, it's a young man's game. They got yeah players in Vancouver who are super fun, talented to watch, and and the what how, the way Kevin Fiala has been playing over the last eight weeks and in these first few games of playoffs. Yes, it's a, it's a young players league, but in general, I still thought Zach would be someone who could who could step up and do something. And through three games, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway I have, Judd, is I have not I have not noticed Zach Parise at all through these three games. I agree. Uh, so we talked about the, the effectiveness of the Wild fourth line today, which was Sturm uh, replacing Donato, who I'm guessing is done now for the series. 
with Koivu and Hartman. So we, we praise them. Uh, let's get to the third line, though. We, we need to talk about this third line. Oh, boy. Um, Galchenyuk, Zuccarello now. By the way, they took they did take part of your suggestion. They moved him because he's a left-handed shot who plays the right wing. They moved Zuccarello from the right wing to the left wing, and they put Cunnan at the right wing. Uh, first of all, I would like to absolve Cunnan. I think he plays his ass off, and I think he plays hard, and I think um, he's certainly not the most talented player in the world, but I think he's a developing player, and I, I really like him. And I don't think we'll ever have a game where we accuse Luke Cunnan of not pulling his weight, or at least attempting to. So I'd like to absolve him here, and I'd like to focus in on two-thirds of the line. Okay. Uh, Gal- the Galchenyuk-Zuccarello component. First of all, uh, let me get this straight. I was taking copious notes throughout the course of this game. Thank you. Uh, Second period of this game, uh, Galchenyuk in his own zone. And keep in mind, he's playing center now. So he is, this is highly responsible position, defensive responsibilities too, okay? This is not a wing where you can go cherry pick and hang out at the red line and do your own thing. Uh, Galchenyuk makes a pass. I think it was back into the middle of the ice, into his own slot area that um, Sutter picks off and almost scores on. It's just a horrific pass. And it's the second horrific play that he's made in two games. The first one resulted in the uh, JT Miller secondary goal, I believe, on on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, this one did not result in a goal. I believe Stalock made the save. And then, as I wrote for scorenorth.com, and you can find this um, at our website, Matt Zuccarello continues to be a rumor more than a player. Hmm. Uh, this is not – and I, first of all, I'm going back to let Galchenyuk walk mode because I'm game one I was impressed. The summer camp, the, what I saw of that, I thought he played or applied himself pretty hard. Uh, I'm seeing less of that now. And Zuccarello, five years, $30 million, first three years, no move clause, um, and a salary cap that's going to remain flat for at least a year, if not two, if not three, because of the pandemic. Zuccarello's contract and play right now is a complete nightmare. Uh, but I believe if we are going to dump on a line from today's game, and say, what the hell? It's at least Galchenyuk and Zuccarello at two-thirds of that third line, which is giving you nothing. And before and before you respond, but Judd, what do you know about hockey? Because it's a third line. It's not the it's not top six. Those guys are playing on power plays too. Mm-hmm. All right. Those mm-hmm. guys are playing on power plays. So don't give me that crap. They are important. They have every ability to contribute. And they are not contributing. And um, I just, I guess, first of all, I can't get past the the uh, Zuccarello contract. I really just can't get past it. And last thing, um, if nothing else, this series is a gift from God to see what you have in high-stress pressure situations. And God right now is telling you, don't resign Galchenyuk. And I appreciate that, God, because that's possible. But he's also saying, Paul Fenton, for as much as he helped you with the Fiala trade, absolutely screwed you on the Zuccarello contract, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Because even if he came to Billy Garrett tomorrow and said, I'll waive the no-move clause because I'm just not good, who's going to take the contract? Right. Well, let me put you on the spot a little bit and say what what's more damning, the Matt Zuccarello five-year no-move contract or the Nino for Rash trade? Which one's more damning? Because they're both pretty horrible, but... Which one do you uh, well, cripples this team more? In the Mackey and Judd vein, that's a great question, Declan. That's a great question. 
man, you are fueled. You are fueled by those uh, by the seltzers. That's right. That's a great question. The reality, as much as I'd love to jump on, the, it's the Rask trade because it's one. It's Brock for Brooklyn or Brooklyn for Brock. It's one of the worst trades, and it's a terrible trade. Um, the Zuccarello contract, without question, right? Because the Rask contract, I hate, and I hate the fact that you're. But first of all, keep in mind, Nino was making more than Rask, so you actually got some salary cap relief. Second of all, I think I can finagle a way out of the Rask deal here fairly soon. With Mats, I'm just stuck. I am mm-hmm. completely stuck in, in Dex. I don't see, and I think Matt's, I looked this up when I was writing the column yesterday. I think he's 31, 31 or 32. I think he's 31. Um, long story short, you're stuck here. So off your question, as much as I'd love to pile on the Rask trade again, because it's fun to do, I feel more stuck with Matt's contract because on that one, I mean, you can buy him out, but I don't know what to do there. It, it's a nightmare. Well, and yes, we do know that the Ras for Nino trade was a horrible, horrible trade, but you, you you got a little bit of cap savings. Okay, so that that was something. Nino is a good player, not a great player. So even if you lost him for nothing, I don't think it like you don't look at that as a, oh man, that was the turning point that I knew the Minnesota Wild were going to be stuck in a rut because they traded Nino for a bag of pucks. But what it negates it when you sign Matt Zuccarello, to a five-year no-move contract, and he performs like this, well, now you are stuck. Now you are stuck for five years because you already are in salary cap hell with, with Parisi and Suter's contracts, okay? So I think I'm with you. I think the Zuccarello contract is actually more damning because it prevents you from making future moves. Yes, you could have gotten something more for Nino Niederreiter. We can all agree on that. But with Matt, you are stuck with the contract unless somehow, some way he says, all right, Billy, you're uh, get me out of here and and whatever it takes. If someone wants to get, do it? I don't know. I mean, no one's going to take him. No, no one's going. No one's going to take him. No, that's the thing about it. Is is I, I guess the most that you can hope for is he waves the no move so that he can ex- be exposed to the Seattle uh, expansion draft. Of course, he's not going to be taken, but that would allow you then potentially, I think, to protect another player. But Matt Zuccarello, as far as I can tell, unless you're going to buy him out at some point here, you are just completely stuck here. It's a terrible contract. It's why, it's why no other team, from what I've heard, in the National Hockey League was willing to go to five years with right. this guy. And, right. and look, he played he, – so he got traded from the Rangers to Dallas last year. And he, I think, broke his arm in his first game in Dallas. He ended up playing in two regular season games with the Stars. He then came back for the playoffs, and I think he had four goals – and 11 points. So the playoff run was nice. But uh-huh. but if you had if you had subsequently looked at what he had done statistically with the Rangers previous to that, it was going like this. And it wasn't going off a cliff, but it was going down enough where no sane GM would have ever said, let's sign you up for five years. You know, I could see three years, something like that. Um, but the decline in his statistical performance with the Rangers was frightening enough that most teams were like, oh, no, we're not going to do a long-term deal. And the Wild did. It was bad before the pandemic hit, but with a flat salary cap now, you are right back because guess what? You're still stuck with Parisi at this point and Suter, and I understand that those guys aren't terrible players. But you're, you are now going to be up against it again cap-wise because Fiala has to get paid, right? Uh, Kaprizov eventually here is going to – is not going to be next year, but – Pretty quickly, he's going to get paid something instead of nothing. All of those things make that contract an absolute, absolute pain in the butt, and it now becomes worse 
because of the salary cap not going up. Thank you very much, Paul Fenton. Do you, like me, Declan Goff, come back with um, stay locked? And I realize it's back-to-backs, but it goes from afternoon game to night game. Do you come back with uh, with Staylock in Game Four? Because I most definitely do. He made some saves today, including one. Was oh, that yeah. in the third period where he dove across the the uh, mouth of the net? Yeah. He made some saves today that were great. There is no way. There's no way that I put Dubnik in goal tomorrow. I bring Staylock back, and if I lose and get bounced from the tournament, I lose. Yeah, I if I if you're asking me as Coach Declan, who would I start in net? Yeah, I'm going Alex Staylock. Or Coach um, Dean. Or as Dean. I mean, I don't care who you are. I think you have to go stay locked. That being said, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Dean looks at the situation and just basically says that, all right, we're down 2-1. Games are against the wall. i got to motivate the guys somehow, and we're going to throw it to Devin Dubnik. I, I don't agree with that plan. I don't agree with that plan. But I can see that circling in Dean's head. Um, I, think it, I, I think it's probably stay locked regardless, unless, unless something changes that drastically. But I think Staylock hasn't been the issue. I, I the issue is you can't no. score in the power play. That's number one. Your special teams have been atrocious. Um, you can't finish in front of the net. That's number two. Your penalty kill's fine. Yeah, your penalty kill's been thing. mostly fine. And then you've gotten no show performances and catastrophic turnovers from from players. And then if you want to pick on goaltending, all right, then we can put that in the queue. But I, I when I look at the three reasons the Wild are down two one, Judd, it ain't Alex Staylock. No, it, and it has so, nothing to do with them. So the, the uh, Canucks scored three goals, but there were two goals that were legit because the Pedersen third goal was was almost at the end of the game. Uh, the Besser power play goal, goal one, Stalock made a save, a nice save, rebound. Besser dives on his backhand and, and scores. To me, nothing to do with goaltending there. Um, goal two, Brad Hunt gets caught. It's not, I mean, it's yeah. basically a breakaway backhanded goal by uh, Antoine Roussel. I don't blame the goaltender on that one. I, If I was going to make a goaltending change, and look, I get it. Dean would never do this. But if I was going to make a change, which I would not do, I'd play Capo just to see here. I, I do think, I think what's really helping you, if you're Bill Guerin in this series, is if nothing else, Dex, it's crystallizing things, right? It's crystallizing who can do what and who can't do what. And look, to what you said before, and you're right, you know, Parisi. Parisi's not, you can't rely on Parisi. That doesn't mean he can't be an effective player on a really good team, but, you know, this whole notion of, well, he could still play top six or, or top three, top line. No, he probably can't. Not this time of year, not in playoff games. Uh, Fiala emerging more than ever. Yep. Get him a center. Let, ladies and gentlemen, can I remind mm-hmm. you that Kevin Fiala right now is basically creating almost everything by himself? Can you imagine if you gave him a center who wasn't even an all-star? But let's say, let's say it's a reliable, good pivot, okay? okay? Just somebody who can set him up, get him the puck, allow him to freelance a little bit more. Sands puck then get him the puck. Can you imagine how special this guy could potentially be if you gave him that? If you just said, if you just said, because Eric Stahl, I think, has played pretty well. If I'm not mistaken, he went into today's game leading the Wild, I think, or tied for the team lead in points with four assists. So he's played fine. But if I gave that guy a 25-year-old centerman who could set him up consistently, 
what type of player we're potentially talking about. Because Fiala, to me, is driving almost every play he makes almost by himself right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's that's the biggest piece this team is missing, man. And, and look, number one, centers don't grow on trees. And I know you're, you're just implying I'm not even asking for a game-changing center. I'm just asking for a competent 50 to 50 point 25 year old center with some upside that can feed him more pucks instead of having essentially Alex Galchenyak play center. Um, and, and you have Eric Stahl who's played well for his, for his tenure here at the wild, but, but he's, um, but he's not, he's not who he is anymore. And yeah, they need, they need a young who, center. Who can keep up with the owl. <clears throat> Just keep up with him. Like feed him the puck because he can keep up with him. Right. That's fair. So that's the only thing. Man, um, yeah, so Wild Falls 3 nothing to the Canucks today. It was game three of the qualifying round series. They're down 2-1 to one in the series. They will play late night tomorrow night, I believe. Are we talking 9.45 puck drop again? Yeah, late, uh, late, late puck drop, man. All right, so Judd's Hockey Show, the last call version of Judd's Hockey Show with Judd and Declan will come to you. Probably will start that 12.45 a.m.-ish Central Time. Does that sound fair right around then? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what state I'm in at 12.45 on a Friday right, night. Because um... I need you to drive this show, okay? Okay. All right. He's Declan. I'm Judd. Thanks for watching Judd's Hockey Show. Last call. Declan? He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.